chapter 5. I hope you'll turn there. And we did have a, an enjoyable service uh, Christmas Eve, or Thanksgiving Eve. <laughs> We're going to have one Christmas Eve. But Thanksgiving Eve, we sat around in a circle, all of us in here, and uh, from the youngest kids to the oldest folks, we shared uh, a verse, a song we wanted to sing, or a verse of scripture, and, and uh, it was just a refreshing service for me to be able to participate in it. And if you missed it, you did miss it. Uh, the Sunday morning messages, we uh, record and we put those uh, on our podcast, but some of the other services, we don't. And so I hope you'll come back tonight at 6 o'clock. You'll get to meet, Lord willing, the plan is, you'll get to meet my wife's older sister, who's in from England, who drops in every 10 years or so. Uh, so we're thrilled to be able to spend some time with her, and they'll be up here this evening in our service at 6 o'clock tonight. I hope you'll plan to join us. Uh, we're going to look uh, in Proverbs at guarding our heart. And you have, I have the coolest picture on the PowerPoint. You've got to come just to see that picture. No, I'm, it is a cool picture, and it's a great visual for guarding your heart. Six o'clock tonight, I hope you'll join us for that service. This morning, we're looking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in everything, give thanks. Now, look on the screen here. I love the picture of this guy. He's doing a, a grubby job, and it may be a little washed out on the front screens, but he's doing, it's a dirty job, and he's turning and looking at the camera like, yeah, right. Uh, give thanks for this? Yeah, in everything, give thanks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice, how often? Always. Always. Wow. Pray when? Without ceasing. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In what give thanks? Everything. All right, say it real loud like it is on the screen. It's yelling at you, right? In everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is God's plan. God is working in your life. In everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what's the will of God? It's the will of God that you give thanks. It's also what you're going through God has allowed in your life. It's his will that you go through this. Now, I love the fact that we go through. We don't get stuck. I love that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Not, yea, though I get stuck in the middle of the valley of death. No, I walk through it. I walk through. Uh, when you are having a bad day, you must remember that God is still God. He is still in control because he's awesome, almighty God. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him were all created all that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. All things were created by him and for him. In 2 Kings chapter 20, it tells a story. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to talk about the lives of half a dozen or more of folks from the Bible that, that remind us of God's truthfulness. So if you're not familiar with the Bible and afterward you want to know where these people were found in the Bible, talk to Megan. She'll write your name down. We'll give you the list of where to find these passages in Scripture. Uh, but this one was in 2 Kings 20. Hezekiah was sick. Hezekiah was a king. Uh, one of, you know, 
uh, one of the jokes, Hezekiah, it sounds like it should be a book of the Bible, doesn't it? You know, and I was at a pastor's thing, and a pastor said, or, or a youth meeting, and a pastor up there speaking said, how many of you have read through the entire Bible? And hands went up all over the place. He said, how many of you thoroughly enjoyed the book of Hezekiah when you were reading the scripture? Hands went up all over the place. He said, there is no book of Hezekiah. Uh, how many of you just lied in church, right? Uh, but, but Hezekiah was king. Hezekiah was king. And Hezekiah got really sick. And so the prophet of God came to talk to him. And when you're really sick, what do you want to hear? You're going to get better. And so the prophet of God comes in and says, Hezekiah, dude, you're dead. Get your life in order. Time's up. And Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and he cried out toward God. And while the prophet's walking away, God told the prophet, hey, turn around and go back to Hezekiah and tell him I'm going to give him 15 more years. Now that's a blessing but I'm glad I don't know when my end will come. I'm glad the Lord hasn't said, Terry, you got five more minutes or 50 more years. I'm glad I don't know, but Hezekiah knew. And then Hezekiah was a little uh, hesitant to believe it. And so the prophet said, do you want God to turn the sundial 10 degrees forward or 10 degrees backward? Okay. How hard is it in our culture to change your clock? Pretty easy. You know, the hardest thing about changing that big one in the back is you got to get up to that big one in the back. Other than that, it's really easy. In the Trek room, it's so hard to get on and off the screw. I took the face off. So all we have to do is change the clock. I reach up and I can move the hands. Uh, in everything, give thanks. Hezekiah said, how can I believe this? I'm just not sure. And so Hezekiah said, let's turn it back 10 degrees. Now, in order to turn the sundial back 10 degrees, you didn't move the sundial. You stopped the rotation of the earth. You moved it back 10 degrees so that the angle of the sun on the sundial was now 10 degrees back. Now, that's an amazing, cool thing in Israel, right? Okay, imagine you're like a third of the way around the world from Israel. Sunrise! Darkness. The sun slowly rises above the horizon. It gets up where you can see the sun, and then it's gone. That would have been a scary day for them. And then the sunrise started all over again. Amazing. We were on a road trip once driving by some mountains and there were peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys and and Kathy was saying sunrise because you could see the sun and then oh no because it'd be back behind a mountain and then sunrise oh no sunrise oh well seemed funny at the time but <laughs> but these people the sunrise came up and then it went back in darkness God is in control he can fix anything Now, let's be honest. Sometimes doesn't that make it hurt a little more? God could fix anything. God could stop anything. He can stop the solar calendar for the sake of one king by the order of one prophet. God can change anything. And, and so when you're really hurting... 
and when you're suffering deeply and, and you know that God is in control and you know that God could turn time backward and, and your loved one was just killed in a tragic accident and God, please turn time backward so we can prevent that accident. And God doesn't do it. He could have easily prevented this extremely difficult circumstance in your life. He's God. He could have easily prevented it. And that's part of the trouble that Job had in the book of Job when he wants to question God and say, why did you allow this in my life? God has allow it, allowed it. And now, not only has God allowed it, but God said, listen, you're in pain, you're in agony, and I want you to give thanks to me. That's a little hard, isn't it? So this, in everything give thanks, this is not, let's be Pollyanna and pretend nothing bad ever happens. Bad things do happen to us, and they hurt. So I want to share with you this morning five reasons to praise God during the worst days of your life. The picture on the screen is a couple who survived a tornado, but their house and stuff didn't survive very well. Five reasons to praise God during the worst days of your life. Now, let me caution you, okay? This is counsel for you. This is not counsel for you to give to somebody else. So, somebody else is having a really, really, really bad day in their life, Deacon Ben walks over and says, Pastor says you can give God because of this and this and this. That's not good. You don't need that. We don't need platitudes when we're hurting. Eventually, you might get a chance to encourage someone. But please, don't go up to somebody who just had a child die and tell them God's doing good things in your life through this. I remember when my mother died, and my dad was outside. He went outside. We were all inside when Mom died, and Dad went outside. And then a wail like I have never heard before come out of my dad, this, this wail of agony because he'd just lost my mom. And I walked outside, and dad grabbed me by the shoulders and he said, what good will God do from this? How will this be used for good in my life? And I said, I don't know. I'm not God. But I can trust him. And so can you. To be honest with you, it's been five years. Still don't see the good. But we can trust God. He doesn't fail. He doesn't lie. Five reasons. Sure, number one, God still loves you. God still loves you. If, if you understand this, right, raise your hand if you agree with me on this, right? People do stupid things. Anybody agree with that? Yeah. Now, keep your hand up if you're one of those people, right? Sometimes we do, don't we? I saw somebody reaching over and pushing their spouse's hand up a little higher. But, uh, you can rejoice that you are loved with an everlasting love. What does everlasting love look like? 
Jesus. Doesn't look like anybody else. Some of us have great marriages. Long-term loves. And, and by the way, those who have, old love's way better than young love, isn't it? Yeah? Because there's a comfort there, a consistency there. And, uh, but even when you fail, even when you fall, God still loves you. There was a man named Peter. He was one of the apostles, one of the 12 chosen by Jesus, and he was the mouthiest one. We know that because that's what the scripture says. And Peter boasted he was going to be faithful to God. And Jesus said, no, you're going to deny me. He said, no, all those other guys, they may deny you, but I will not. Peter was a, probably a big guy, certainly a very strong guy. The scriptures record he pulled in a net full of 153 good-sized fish, all by himself. See, he is a big guy. But he denied the Lord. A young girl came up to him, told him, you're with Jesus. And Peter was scared because Jesus had been arrested. He didn't know what was going on. He denied the Lord. In fact, he denied it so strongly, he started using bad language to emphasize his denial. Like people today, they think you got to use bad language to sound really passionate about something. Well, Peter did. And then he saw Jesus, and, and that glance from Jesus to Peter, Peter knew he denied the Lord, and then he saw the Lord. How do you think Peter felt at that moment? Well, you know what they'd say in Texas. He was lower than a snake's belly. <laughs> Peter felt bad. He didn't just feel bad. He felt broken. And he didn't just feel broken, he felt hopeless. He had blown it so bad, he couldn't imagine there could be a good day coming. But you see, God loved him. And Jesus restored him. And Jesus lifted him up. And Jesus equipped him. And so in the book of Acts, we read about Peter, this giant man of faith, and thousands of people coming to Christ under the teaching and preaching of Peter. Why? Because he was loved with an everlasting love. When Jesus rose from the grave and Peter was very nervous to see him, I picture Jesus kind of putting his arm around him saying, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He put him back to work, back to service. He had failed but he was still loved. Secondly, God is still with you. God is still with you. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews, the first and second Thessalonians, then the Timothys, then Titus, Philemon, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to look at two passages in Hebrews. The first one is Hebrews 13. God is still with you. His presence may be hidden. You may not feel his presence, but he is still with you. He has not gone anywhere. And not only is he with you, but he understands you. I have five kids. At multiple times in their life, I've had each of them, and occasionally all of them when they were together, tell me they didn't understand me. What's to get? I'm... We don't understand each other, do we? 
Occasionally, even after 37 years of marriage, Kathy and I look at each other and, huh? Yeah. But God not only loves you and stays with you, he gets you. He understands you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. I mean, don't be greedy. Like Americans are the greediest people sometimes. Uh, all of our advertising is based on greed. Don't be greedy. Don't be covetous. Be content with such things as you have. Why? For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We, we don't have to be afraid. He's with us. Admittedly, there are times when it doesn't feel like he's with you. Like the guy driving down the road says to his wife, he said, or his wife says to him, Honey, you remember when we were first married? We used to sit side by side, sit up close in the car, and just kind of snuggle while we drove down the road. And he says, Yeah. And he looks at her and he says, I haven't moved. <laughs> you know, if you're not feeling close to God, guess who moved? God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And James, he said, draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. If you're not feeling close to God, you moved. Not God. He's still with you. Look in chapter 4, Hebrews 4. He's still with you and he still gets you understands what's going on in your life. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Now, in the Old Testament, they had a priesthood. In the New Testament church, we don't. Some churches have priests, but they don't understand the Bible accurately. The way the Bible's written, who are the priests in the New Testament? We are. We are. Believers are. We're called believer priests. God has commissioned us to represent him on planet earth. And so every one of you is a priest. I'm not the priest of this church. I'm the pastor, but every one of us who has trusted Christ as Savior is a priest to represent God on earth. So our high priest, the one in the Old Testament, the high priest was the one who would make the ultimate sacrifice. He would give the annual sacrifice and the, the high priest, it was a special position and a service of honor. We have a greater high priest, a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. You're going through a hard day, a difficult day, a discouraging day. Jesus had hard days, difficult days, discouraging days. There were times Jesus looked at the people who were closest to him and called them faithless because they didn't believe, they didn't trust. Jesus had difficulty with his friends, difficulty with his families, 
The only situation Jesus didn't have that you might, he didn't have difficulties with a spouse because he never got married. And in our culture, a lot of people don't get married in America. That happens. Sometimes by choice, sometimes it just works out that way. But Jesus lived in a culture where a man not being married was, was weird. And Jesus chose not to marry because I don't know why, but I do know this, that if he had had biological offspring on planet Earth, there would be people today who would be claiming to be a descendant of Jesus. None of us are descendants of Jesus, but if you know him as your Savior, you are his brother or sister. But brother in the biblical sense, meaning an heir of God. Verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when I have a big problem in my life and I go to God and to be honest with you, it takes a big problem to get me on my knees. I pray a lot, but on my knees is really painful. So I only get on my knees to pray when I'm the pain, I don't know, TMI, right? Uh, but, but you have this big problem in your life. God still loves you. God's still with you. He hasn't moved. He's with you. Number three, growth comes only through discomfort. Love that picture. Girls, she's working the weights, man. Growth comes only through discomfort. Uh, Take your Bibles, please, and turn over to the book of Romans, chapter 12. So an athlete gets good by working out. A musician gets good by practicing. An engineer learns his craft by diligent study. Uh, Growth comes through discomfort. If you try to just live comfortably, your muscles will atrophy. If you sit in a chair because it's too painful to try and walk, you're not going to be able to walk next time. Growth comes through discomfort. That's true physically when we work out. That's through emotionally. We go through hard times and we come through stronger. That's true spiritually. Look in Romans 8, verse 29. Now, I'm in Romans 12. Let me get in Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 29. Did I say 12 to you guys too? Well, shame on you. What are you doing at 12? We want to be in 8. You should have known where I was going. (laughs) Romans chapter 8. Now that we're all there, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, this means God knew who would become a believer, he predestined, these he also called. I'm sorry, verse 29. I jumped into verse 30. For whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called, whom he called, these he justified, whom he justified, these he also glorified. He knew, and, and here's God's plan for your life. From the moment you trusted Christ as Savior, from the moment you received him, from that moment, God's plan is that you be conformed to the image of his son. Now, it doesn't mean that God wants you to go through all the historical research and find out what Jesus looked like and then go have cosmetic surgery so we can have a lot of Jesus lookalikes. What it means is he wants to see the character and spirit of Christ in you. The character and the spirit of Christ in you. Chances are, I am taller than Jesus because in his day, Jewish men tended to be 4'4 four, four to 4'6. Four, I'm sorry, 5'4 to 5'6. My great-great-grandpa was 4'11, but, but uh, I'm a little taller than Jesus was. I also have gray hair that Jesus didn't have till perhaps after the crucifixion. Revelation said his hair is white, uh, but before that, he didn't. But God wants us to become like Christ. How did Christ become like Christ? He mingled with humanity. He lived among sinful people, but he lived a righteous life. And he gave himself for their salvation. He wants us to become more like Christ, to value what Christ valued, to pursue the mission that Christ has given to the church. And growth comes through discomfort. Um, early in the story of King David, we find David crying out to God in a cave. He's alone, afraid, discouraged. He's hiding from Saul, and he cries out from a cave. But in those dark moments, David was growing. God was doing a work in David's life so that David could come out of that wilderness, out of that difficulty, and step into the throne room of Israel and become the greatest king in Israel's history and arguably one of the great kings in world history. But it started when he was alone and afraid and in the dark. And, and even in that darkness, he was writing some of the hymns that still encourage us today in the book of Psalms. And we read what he wrote, and we are strengthened in our walk with God. So the dark times, the difficult times, growth comes through discomfort. There was an old country singer who used to sing about a tree in the backyard battered by the wind, right? Well, the truth is the trees that face a lot of wind, they dig their roots down deep and, and they grab on. And sometimes trees that, trees that don't get much wind suddenly get a big wind up and boom, down goes the tree. Growth comes through discomfort. So are you going through difficult times? Well, remind yourself, these are growing times. How many of you had growth spurt so that you actually had what they call growing pains? You, you grew so fast, there's pains in your body because your body, your bones were growing. And, and, and my brother did that. In one summer, he grew six inches. When he went back to school in the fall, nobody recognized him. 
<laughs> it was suddenly way taller. I didn't have a spurt like that, but, but I grew 12 inches in high school. And, and the, you, you get the growing pains. Well, if you're having a difficult day, remind yourself, these are growing pains. God's using this to help me be more like Christ. Keep your Bible open there. And number four, you can be grateful that for believers, there is no meaningless suffering. God allows only what he will use for good in your life. And in this picture, you see that path moves around. It's not a straight path. God wants us to follow the straight and narrow, but the path he leads us on sometimes has a winding difficulties of life, treacherous areas. Look in verse 28 of Romans 8. Romans 8, 28. And we know that, how many things? All things do what? Work together for good. To everybody? No. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. To them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. So, if you're a believer, for believers, there is no meaningless suffering. God only allows what he will use for good in your life. And I tell you, this makes me think of a young man named Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph was a dreamer, he had visions, he kind of bragged to his brothers about the vision, really didn't show much discernment there. Uh, but then his father showed great favoritism to him and gave him a coat of many colors and, and his brothers were jealous of the favoritism he got. And so his older brothers were so jealous, they put him in a pit. They were going to kill him, and Reuben talked him out of that. So they put him in a pit, sold him to slavery, got taken down into Egypt. And you think, oh man, his brothers were bad to him. Well, then, then he got sold to an Egyptian. And he got put to work there, and he was thriving again. And somebody lied about him, and he ended up in prison. And then he uh, gave counsel to some of the prisoners. And one of them, when they were getting out of prison, he said, remember me. And he got out of prison, and he forgot all about him. And so for years, uh, from the time that Joseph's brother sold him into slavery until God used it for good, where Joseph could see the good, one day he got out of prison, he got restored out of prison, he became prime minister of Egypt, he ended up saving his father and all of his house, saving the whole nation of, of Egypt and surrounding nations. But in the time between when he got put into the pit, and when he became prime minister of Egypt, was something like 22 years. That's a long time. He had lonely, dark, discouraging years, not just days. Joseph's suffering, however, put him in exactly the right spot at exactly the right time. So that Joseph later testified, hey, you guys meant evil against me, but God used it for good that through me many could be saved. Because there is no meaningless suffering. I think it was the words from the offertory, if I wrote this down right, what if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise, talking to the Lord? What if the trials of your life are God's mercies in disguise, because he's using it for good in your life, and the end result will be what Romans 8.29 said, that you can be more like Christ. 
There is no meaningless suffering. There are no accidents. In God's economy, he could have prevented it. If he chose not to, he will use it for good. It's a growth step, no matter how awkward it feels. Now, number five. This problem or painful circumstance is not the end of your story. We began with the words, in everything, give thanks. This problem, you can be grateful that your problems will end, but you will live forever with the Lord. When Pharaoh added to the burden of the Hebrew people, instead of releasing them from prison, or releasing them from their bondage, Moses went back to God, and Moses said to God, he prays, he said, God, since you brought me here to deliver this people, you haven't delivered them at all. I don't know what he was expecting, you know, point one, deliverance. Uh, I don't know. But he hadn't delivered them at all. And Moses was heartbroken, and he accused God of not caring. And then ten plagues later... Moses realized that on that day when he was the most discouraged, God was still with him, and that was not the end of his story. He went on to lead his people across the Red Sea and saw the entire Egyptian army destroyed. They sang a song, and they praised God, and they wrote a hymn of thanksgiving to God for his mighty deliverance. See, that wasn't the end of his story. In your difficult times, that's not the end of your story either. Caleb was a fierce warrior. Caleb had served with Joshua and Moses. And Caleb and Joshua and ten other guys went to spy out the land of Israel. And you know what they found out? There were some really big guys there. They called them giants. But in our culture, you know, you, you think the, the mythological giants, uh, you know, the guys that were 40 feet tall, these guys weren't that tall. They were close to 10 feet tall, some of them. How many of you think that's a pretty big guy, right? right? Yeah, but they weren't really giants. They were just really big humans, uh, really big. You know, I look pretty small when I stand next to, if I ever stood next to Shaquille O'Neal, I would look pretty small, pretty tiny. Caleb was a fierce warrior. He saw those big guys, and you know what Caleb thought? God's going to deliver them. This is his land. I can't wait to see how God's going to take down those big guys. But the other 10 guys, they were afraid. They said, we felt like grasshoppers in their sight. Hey, the biggest grasshopper I've ever seen is only like that long. That's the biggest one I've ever seen. If they looked like grasshoppers in their sight, those guys must have been about as tall as my hand. They were exaggerating. But Caleb trusted God and he believed God. And so for 40 years, they had to wander in the wilderness. And Caleb had to wander with them. And Caleb saw all the guys that went with them and all of their families and all the men of his generation die. And they had funeral after funeral, thousands a day of people dying. Over those 40 years, hundreds a day. Thousands and thousands of men died. But then they got to go into the land Caleb and Joshua, they were old guys. 
They were 30 years older than the next oldest guys going in there. And Caleb and Joshua went, and Caleb said, I want that mountain, the mountain where the so-called giants were. I want to take that hill. And there was a city on that mountain, and the city was called Kurdish Arba. It means the land of Arba, the giant. Kurdish Arba. You know what it's called now? Hebron. It's, it's the land of the friends of God. Hebron, named for Abraham, a friend of God. And, and he, he took the giant, he took their land, and he made it his own because the end of his story was not when the ten guys quit. Job had one of the worst days since the days Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden. And the end of the story was God blessed. Double what he had before. Uh, Elijah was in a cave and crying out to God. And like David, he was alone. Unlike David, he was not afraid. He was angry. He was upset with God for allowing these circumstances in his life. And God said, this is not the end of your life, Elijah. This is not the end of your story. And Elijah became the only person to ever go to heaven the way he went to heaven. In a flaming chariot flown up into the heavens, and Elisha got to watch Elijah go up into heaven. Nobody's ever gone that way before. Because that wasn't the end of his story. You know what? Going up in, into heaven wasn't the end of his story. In the Gospels, he stood on the Mount of Olives with Jesus. On the Mount of Transfiguration, rather. He stood with Jesus. And then, that's not the end of his story. Someday you're going to be in heaven if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. You're going to be able to walk up to Elijah and say, did it feel warm in that chariot? What was it like to be the first person to fly? What you're going through is not the end of your story. Your problems, your difficulties, your loneliness, your pain, your suffering, your agony, even your enemies have an expiration date. But you, my friend, do not. You will live forever with the Lord. Your body may die, but your soul and spirit will live on. Even your body will be resurrected someday because your story will never end. Never. Your story goes on and on and on. So back to that picture we started with, in everything give thanks? Yes, in everything, because God still loves you, because God is still with you. You have his presence, because growth comes through discomfort, and Christ-likeness requires sculpting, because there is no meaningless suffering. God is working this together for good in your life, because this day is not the end of your story. You see, if, 
You ever seen, gone to the mall or something that says, you are here? Well, here's, you are here. You are here. You can't change that. You can't change the circumstances of your life. You can't change the difficulties of your life. But you can change your attitude and you can change your direction. You can move away from God or you can move closer to God. You can choose to doubt God or you can choose to trust God. You can choose your attitude and your direction. And you can choose to praise God even on the worst days of your life. Because He's still God. And He still loves you. And He's with you. And He's using this. And He's blessing you in spite of the difficulties and sometimes even because of the difficulties. Because we serve an awesome awesome God. Just like the song the choir sang about, just like the offertory, just like the songs we sang this morning, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. He's already in your tomorrow. Trust Him. He is trustworthy. We're going to sing Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Tis so sweet to trust in him.